welcome back to Q Talks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. This episode was sponsored by DesignSpark, design tools and resources for engineers to help make their ideas happen. I'm Shreya. And I'm Thomas, and we are your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not the typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. So for this episode, we're very excited to welcome Helen Guillaume to QTalks. Helen is CEO and founder of Wild AI. We're really looking forward to talking to her about her experience applying technical expertise in her startup and the ins and outs of how to be successful with funding in consumer products. So hi Helen, thanks for coming on the show with us today. Um, If you wouldn't mind maybe starting off telling us a bit about your background, how you ended up at Wild AI today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks a lot for having me. Really exciting. Um, So my personal background, uh, I studied maths and financial risk. I started my career as a quant uh, in a hedge fund in London. And from there, I did different things of which uh, management consulting. My big client was Fannie Mae in the US on how to use more of their existing internal data sets to be able to optimize their risk models. And uh, so using basically a huge amount of data sets uh, in finance uh, to be able to take smart investment decisions. So that's basically my background. And on the side of that, I've been doing a lot of sports. Uh, so 100 kilometers running races, half Ironman, ice swimming, and things like that. And um, in the world of sports, understanding your body is really important. But the reality is that we still understand our body less than we understand a car. For a very uh, good reason is that we build cars, so we know how they work, but we don't build our body, so we actually don't understand it. And even more so uh, as women, because there's been very little research in the medical or sports world on, on women. For a couple of reasons, women are more complex. We our metrics change all the time. So when you test things on women, it is more complex because uh, the just the metrics vary cyclically, naturally. And second reason is that there's been less money in the world, um, and that's uh, together with uh, combined with Theo, Theo, who has a PhD and postdoc in AI, focusing on modeling the human body. Um, we both did Entrepreneur First which is a deep, deep tech incubator uh, in the UK, um, backed by Reid Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn. Um, we basically now create wild AI, which is combining uh, our backgrounds, so my background using huge amount of data sets in finance to take smart investment decisions, but applied to the human body. So taking all this data that we have as individuals um, to understand how to basically become smarter towards the the decisions we take uh, for personal body, basically. Wow. I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, one of of the things that really intrigues me is that you've mentioned that there hasn't been a lot of research on on women and and sports, perhaps. And on the other side, AI kind of really relies on a lot of data and, and data sets. So how do you square that one? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, and, and it's actually uh, fascinating because, um, as you said, AI uh, relies on data, data, existing data or new type of data sets. Um, and uh, so we, the way we go around that is first we read a lot of white papers. So there is some research on women, but uh, sometimes there would be research done only on 30 women. 
So it's really small pool of population, but that that would still be our starting point. So for instance, some differences from men and women is our digestion changes cyclically all the time. Um, so more more constipated or the other way around. Our joint flexibility changes all the time. So our body on a monthly basis uh, becomes opens up to become pre- to be able to become pregnant, which means that in sports, anterior cross ligament is a very female injury, highly correlated to where you are in the month. Um, so all these things have been a little bit analyzed, but not necessarily in a, in a huge amount of the of, of people. So that's the the starting point, uh, white papers. Then we have assumptions. And then later, we want to verify those assumptions with our research and the the new data sets. What is really interesting is uh, because most research often has been done by men on men, uh, there's actually a pool of data that are non-existent. And I give you an example, which was quite interesting. We were with our clinical advisor, who's a woman. She has 14 years uh, of research on, on women's health. And um, our CSO and our CTO, two men, and uh, we said uh, the girls. We said uh, we should track sex drive, so we're tracking a lot of subjective data sets. And the men said, "But why? It doesn't change." And we said, "Well, it does change all the time. It varies all the time." So if we were only a team of men, that would basically have been a non-data because on men it doesn't change. Um, and having women in the team uh, means that we create new layers of data sets. Yeah, well, that's, that's really interesting. So w- what do you guys try to achieve uh, with Wild AI? So with Wild AI, we have, like, our purpose is really empower women to take the most out of their bodies. Um, and the way we do that is we start with... Um, Women who have a very clear objective, so women who do sports, uh, typically a woman who does a race. Uh, so the, her objective is timed. So it would be, for instance, uh, a marathon on the 16th of May, and she wants to run it in 3 hours 30. So it's what we call the SMART goal, specific measurable in times. Then uh, we, we onboard the woman, so we start to understand who she is today. And from there, we provide her a training plan on uh, what to do on a daily basis around training, nutrition, recovery, and stretch. And then as a day pass, we help her understand the symptoms she has on a daily basis. And the second step is help her alleviate the symptoms. And the third step is really take the most out of her body. So ultimately, what we're doing at Wild and what we're trying to do for, for for these women is um, help them reach their objectives uh, by understanding their body through their data. And ju- and just to be clear, so all that advice and the, you're giving to the women, is that basically data generated and made automatically or is that kind of based on kind of humans kind of viewing the data and making the recommendations? Yeah, so the way we function is first we, so after the onboarding, so questions uh, that we ask the person around her nutrition, habits, uh, her preferences, her objective. Then uh, we plug uh, to her uh, wearables. So our our first persona, our first uh, user base are women who do sports, specifically starting with runners, cyclists and swimmers, who do races and have a wearable. So typically, a, per, a woman who do less sports would probably not be our target customer to, to start with because we want her to have data sets and be engaged to give us data. Um, and, uh, and then on a daily basis, we would have her data from her wearable 
so a, uh, a watch, and then daily questions that we ask uh, through chatbots. So questions around how her, how she slept, her stress levels, um, where she's in her cycles, uh, any symptoms that she she may feel in her body linked to cycles or, or irre- unlinked to cycles, and so that is the source of data sets. Uh, and we are what we call pre-lab level. So all the data we take is is something that she can generate uh, by herself. Later on, we want to add things that are lab level. So uh, data from tests like 23andMe, uh, microbiome is really, really interesting for us. Um, so all new new layers of data set to have a better picture of, the, of her. Uh, eventually, what we're creating is what we called a BIS, body information system, uh, which basically it comes from uh, Google GIS, Geographic Information System. So what they did uh, for Google Maps is basically they took um, layers of mapping. Probably at the beginning when they created the first map, they took the first digitalized map that was probably very simple with only street names. Then they added a layer, for instance, uh, petrol stations, and then they added new layers that were crowdsourced, for instance, a restaurant that is open at 7 a.m. for breakfast that serves vegan food. So that is new layers of complexification of, of their layers of data sets that create really this uh, GIS. And what we're doing at our level is we're taking all these layers of data of the human, of all these different metrics that we have, and we're creating the picture of the body uh, through this BIS and the relationships from all the metrics uh, of, the, of the body. So, so your focus is specifically women in sport. And so how, from what, from the data that you're seeing, is there a genuine, genuine difference in sport, sporting performance between women and men in terms of what the data input says that there is? Yeah, so like... Actually, women until now have been eating and training like men. Uh, the main difference, I mean, everything is different because of, of a couple of things, but one main thing on the, that varies on the daily basis is because we are highly impacted by our cycles and uh, mostly um, the training recommendations or the understanding of the body have not taken that into consideration. So in terms of data input, we have a lot of things that uh, are very relevant for men. So it goes from the activities, from the wearable, the resting heart rate, again, from the wearable, and then the daily questions around how well you slept, your stress level, how you feel you ate and drunk yesterday, um, do you have any niggles, aches and pains, uh, did you stretch, things like that. So all of the, uh, your digestion. So all of that is, uh, is common to men and women. And then on top of that, we add a layer which is anything related to cycles. So um, for a man, basically, uh, if your resting heart rate varies, it probably means that he's sick because it never really varies. I mean, outside of the fact that he, he can get drunk or eat a lot of things like that. For a woman, though, it does vary cyclically. So um, understanding where she's in her cycles on, enables us to understand why she has these variations. Um, so that's why we track these additional things. And also a woman, um, as opposed to a man, feels a lot of things in her body that she doesn't understand. So from puberty to post-menopause, things really vary on a daily basis. But what we're doing is by uh, drawing this BIS, uh, body information system of the women, uh, that is more complex than men, we can actually serve men afterwards as well, because they just have a layer of data that don't exist for them. 
So given your given your sort of focus on women and understanding the cycles and things, have you encountered resistance, particularly as some some sports might have a uh, stereotype towards men? And how have you sort of found found integrating your company and your vision into the into what exists today? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I think uh, there's definitely some resistance in the fact that uh, many people don't understand that there's a there's a huge difference between men and women. Um, so that would be the first one. Second is uh, there's still uh, like performance of women or anything for women is is still quite sealed. Um, we can see that in uh, like there's much less interest in women's sports in terms of media, which means there's less money that is given to them as well. Um, so the resistance there would be, uh, why would you do something for women, whereas there's probably more money in men's sports? Uh, the reason we do so things for women is that because it's been so, um, on, because there's been so on the radar, there's so much to discover still, which makes it extremely interesting. Also, on a business point of view, uh, extremely lucrative. Like there's a lot of money to make out of that, which which a lot of investors um, start to understand a little bit in the femtech world. It's called female tech world, but uh, are still like we we, st we have a lot of uh, of pushback saying uh, this is not our world. We not, we don't really understand that, so we don't want to get near it. Although uh, female tech is basically concerns everyone. If you want to reproduce yourself, it's quite important to understand. But but we do have resistance on, on that front. Um, but but it's so it's part actually of a broader mission uh, to really uh, make that uh, very visible. So like I'm extremely vocal as well on on women empowerment as a whole because uh, men but also women don't really uh, believe sometimes that uh, there's much more they can do. Uh, and so it's it's really part of a broader mission to to link these these two things and and eventually in our generation and our our time we want to see a massive change and shift in uh, interest in women's sports, uh, research in women's uh, bodies, um, and really empowering females. Now that's really interesting and should be applauded, of course. Uh, one, what well, you've already mentioned, kind of the funding side and the business and investment side of of it. Uh, we were wondering, I mean, also given your background in this, how have you found kind of the the starting up process and the and the funding side of kind of getting your startup off the ground? So I did a, a program in in, the, in London called Entrepreneur First, which I highly recommend, which is a really early stage uh, deep tech incubator. Um, so there, um, what they really like is, um, topics that are, uh, unsexy, uh, big industry or untapped sectors, uh, using, leveraging on new technologies. So AI is still considered new technology. So I did that, uh, really early, like basically to launch off, uh, the company. And that, has, that was really, really an accelerator. I mean, it's, it's called an incubator, but it was really where um, I had the structure and the environment that was right for me to launch the company. And, and that's how really I, I, it enabled me to go full-time into that. I have the confidence needed to build it and, and launch from there. And then we raised uh, initial capital from them and from angel investors and then in the US as well. Okay, so you're, you're at the kind of early stage kind of angel funding round right now, is that right? Uh, exactly. Okay, fantastic. 
How do you see your sort of funding process going forwards? Right now, we are going to raise a, a bit more money. And then, uh, so we are a consumer product in deep tech, which is not very, um, investors in Europe don't, are not very, very keen on that. Consumer products in Europe are not uh, very popular uh, because markets are just smaller than in the US. Um, so we are quite present in the US. I was in another program called the Refiners. Uh, which I also highly recommend. Um, and they were really pivotal for us. So it was uh, opening up uh, our access to San Francisco and the Bay Area. Um, and that's where we see uh, potentially um, interest from, from investors uh, because the reactions we have often in Europe is uh, consumer and deep tech uh, don't really go together and so often we we have reactions uh, such as they, they try to push us back to get a b2b model whereas in the us uh, it's it's really the bread and butter consumer products so um we, we will always have the team in the uk for a lot of different reasons of which uh, one major is costs um but i would be uh, most certainly in the us based so do you think it's quite important for similar similar size startups and in similar areas. So like you're saying, consumer products and deep tech. Do you, How important do you think it is for them to be positioning themselves in both Europe and the US? Or, or do you think that it is beneficial to focus, say, in the US? I think it's a, it's, it's a real challenge, to be honest, to be uh, such a small company and across borders. I would, I would highly, highly much prefer being full-time with the team all the time. But the reality is a bit different. And that's why I spend time there. I think the way they see uh, companies, early stage companies, is very different. It's extremely motivating. Ambition for them is if you don't uh, think extremely broad, they're not even interested to talk to you, but the guy next to you has created a billion dollar company so it is it's a bit like until you've seen it you don't believe it's possible there they are all these people that are around you so i think on that front is interesting partnerships for us are really really interesting in the us um so there's a lot of center for health and human performance there that are extremely technical have a lot of data sets but don't necessarily have the data science capabilities behind so for us that's extremely interesting uh, having said that there's also very interesting ones in uh, in the uk and uh, talent is fantastic in the UK and in Europe in general. Uh, we would not have access to that level of talent in the US. So I think it's it's definitely a challenge to be cross borders, um, and it's not really by choice. It's more by default, but it has a lot of advantages uh, of which costs, for instance, and also the way we build companies uh, in Europe is quite different than in the US. Um, so it, it also brings that value. In what way? I think uh, in Europe, we're very Cartesian. So we, uh, when we take a decision, we're going to analyze all the possibilities and then eventually take one. Whereas in the US, they really praise action. Um, when we say they praise failure, it's not really they praise failure, but they, because they praise action, if you do a lot of actions quite fast, you're basically going to fail quite fast as well. And in a sense, it's, it's really refreshing and it's, it's fantastic to have that as a, as a company. What it also means is that often they would build a product that is really pretty uh, in the front. So the UI, UX would be fantastic, but behind there's probably not that much deep research. Whereas in, the, in Europe, we do uh, the other way around, which is we, especially when you have teams that are very technical, uh, such as ours, you build things that, <laughs> that work really, really well in the back, but actually the front end is not attractive at all. And for consumer product, this is impossible. So having these two sides, having 
the confidence that my team is going to build something extremely solid and, and really credible. But on the other side, having the understanding from the US that consumer products need to be really attractive, having these two things is really interesting and, and it's a big difference between Europe and, uh, and the US. I think investors tend to uh, agree with that, I think. So we, we have talked a little bit about the, the funding side. We have talked a little bit about the kind of different cultures. Um, I was also wondering at, at what point did you guys realize that this could be an interesting business? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I think the, the fact that we have lived through our personal lives issues of and uh, feeling the limitations of understanding what happens on our bodies, uh, talking to a lot of women who have been doing sports and who even not doing sports but going to their doctors and not understanding what what lies within their own bodies. And then uh, girls, this morning I was talking with uh, a girl at Imperial who's doing her master's in mathematics and she's uh, she's doing a lot of sports as well. She's, she had amenorrhea for a year, meaning she lost her periods and all her coaches and doctors were just telling her it's okay, it's normal when you do a lot of sports. But it's actually uh, something that is quite uh, traumatic. Um, it is called a tri triad. So basically there's a, a vicious loop of losing your periods, um, food disorders, and um, calcium lacking in bones, uh, and that, that has long-lasting impact. Um, so understanding that there's so many issues that are not yet solved and not an interest that is rising, but not yet uh, basically us in the developed world still understanding very little about our bodies, we realized it was, it was a real, real issue we had to solve. And then on the business side, how we can make that a business, uh, in the consumer product side, this is something individuals really want. So that's why we believe we have a business there. Um, having said that, we still need to prove it. We are pre-revenues. Um, but we have a lot of interest uh, from research centers, uh, medical centers, and things like that. So that would be a B2B model. Um, and there's, there's definitely interest. So I think we still have to prove that we actually have a business. But uh, signs are very strong that we do have a business indeed. Have you found that your background in quant and consulting has really helped you to shape the company into what it is today? Because obviously, as a woman who is keen on sports, you ha you understand the users. But from the from the business point of view, um, do you think that background has been useful for you? I mean, I I'm quite a positive person, so I think that all my experiences always bring. Um, I think. I also uh, on this. I also did uh, actually. I did a lot of different things in in my career. I did also. I had an angel investment platform investing in early stage tech startups. So that really got me up to speed to different business models, different type of companies, what seemed to work, what seemed to not work. And then I also built within a corporate um, a startup. So I was not. I don't think it was really the same thing as being an entrepreneur with no salaries because it was quite a safe environment. But I had exposure to that. So that that really helped me uh, get a taste to what what building a company was like, um, but I think what's what I really got out of being a quant and being a consultant using large amount of data sets and applying technologies such as AI uh, is understanding what type of technologies uh, can be used and what 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 kind of outcomes can you take from one use case to another use case. So really the use case of taking financial data sets to take smart investment decisions and applying that, that same 
principles to using human data sets to take smart decisions on what to do with your uh, on a daily basis, what to eat, what type of sports to do, um, what is your best resting heart rate or target resting heart rate. I think like that knowledge definitely helps. And I think at Entrepreneur First, they really like uh, PhDs, typically, for instance, in AI or things like that. I bring a different perspective, uh, which is, so I started, I studied maths, I was a quant, so I do have a technical background, but I'm also, I also have a business background. And I think the mix of these these words, um, what, what we call a business translator, so understanding the technology and being able to do a business on top of it, is, is interesting. So for, since we're sort of based in Cambridge, we've been thinking quite a lot about how researchers here can transition or pivot their career into uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. So really getting that mix of business and um, technical skills is is important, you're saying? Mm. Yeah, so, so, so you were saying at, at uh, Cambridge, that's what you're doing. You're trying to see how can you apply research into, uh, into creating something as a, with a business use case? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's and actually on that entrepreneur first is a really really good uh, place because that's really the bread and butter. That's exactly what they love, which is researchers that would have done years of research on a very very specific topic uh, and become an expert, but may lack a little bit um, applications in the real world. And then you would have someone coming from years in the real estate industry, for instance, or in the uh, insurance industry coming from real use cases and real issues in the real world and then the combinations of both make it really good so that's why for instance Theo and I it's such a great mix I mean it's unbelievable that we found each other I think because he did nine years of research in how to model the human body uh, to be able to take uh, like understand the body, understand patterns. And if you can understand how the body is going to react, you can provide recommendations to have to, to, to maximize the, the outcome, basically, which is basically exactly what we do. So his research applied to real use case um, is, is what we do. So I think um, like from, from, from your world, um, being able to have exposure to real use cases uh, is, is quite interesting because then suddenly you can apply the research to, to some things. Mm. Well, that's a really nice note to end, I think, this, this podcast. And it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, and I've, I've learned a lot about the differences between men, men and women in sports. And we wish you all the best with your, with your startup. Yeah, I've got a I've got a random question before we finish up. So you said you yes. like you like doing ice swimming. Yes. How how long can you swim in ice swimming for? Yeah, cold swimming is is anything from I don't know eighteen degrees to five degrees cold, and then it's ice. So in ice swimming, I do now around three minutes. Uh, so it's more or less a uh, hundred meters, and then uh, when it goes towards the five degrees, I can run. I can swim more. So at ten degrees, I can swim a kilometer. Typically, it's a hundred meter per per degree. One kilometer, ten degrees, eight hundred, eight degrees, and then at five, I start to struggle a little bit. I'm training. You're such an inspiration all round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, th thanks so much again. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been great having you and I wish you all the best with Wild AI. Thank you. We're trying to change the future of females. So yes, thank you. Thank you for having us. I love it. Good luck. <laughs> so it was great having Helen on the show with us, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely something different. I mean, they have their work cut out for them because they are kind of tackling a pretty hard space. I mean, it's a space where you can clearly see that there are differences between men and women. But yet, as she said, 
there isn't a lot of data available for women, but they also want to approach it with a kind of AI-driven approach. So I suppose that that is a very big challenge. I thought it was also interesting when what she was talking about the differences between EU and the US and how mm. how startups can position themselves to be in both of those places and the difficulties and advantages of operating in both of those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, that really stood out to me as quite good advice for people for their startups. Absolutely. So thanks very much to Helen for joining us on Q Talks. This podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we'd also like to say thanks to the team at QTech for working very hard behind the scenes. Next time, we'll be talking to James and Craig from Madison Squire, who will be giving us an insight into IP and commercialization at an early stage. Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks. Mm-hmm.